Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Just Getting Started. I am thrilled to bring to you Eric Stone Street, the actor who for 11 seasons played Cam on Modern Family. He's also the host of Domino Masters on Fox, and he will be our guest this week on Just Getting Started. As promised, Eric Stone Street joins us here on Just Getting Started. Loving having him on. You know, honestly, Eric, we met through Rich, and I was grateful to go to your house one time for a party. Now I feel like you live with us because our 13-year-old has been binging Modern Family nonstop. When I tell you maybe four episodes a day on the non-school days, sometimes more, and I told him that you were coming on, and he said, Cam's coming on? Can I can I say hi? And I said no, go to school. But but what have you? But it's it's so great for you to join us here on Just Getting Started. Thank you so much. Well, I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad he's uh, discovered Modern Family. That makes me so happy, and it uh, it reminds me that you know we'll just continue to have new fans after new fans, which is just a, a treat to know that generations uh, will be watching the show for some time. It's so cool. It holds up so amazingly well. And when you have kids, you tend to rewatch things. So like two years ago, we watched all of Friends. And it was so nice to have a a time where I could actually watch something that I wanted to watch at the same time as my kid. Because before that, Mm -hmm. it was a whole load of crap. And (laughs) so we could laugh the whole time. And Eric, it holds up so well. And part of me wonders, did you have any idea when you started it, that 11 seasons later, you would have a show that held up so incredibly? Well, I don't know that it from the beginning I knew that, but certainly as we started reading scripts and shooting the show and watching the nuance of the writers and how the jokes played out in episodes, I quickly discovered that it would be a show that people could watch over and over again and get new jokes that they hadn't heard the previous time they'd watched it. So in that sense, I knew it was layered enough that it would hold an audience's attention for multiple viewings. And I guess you can extrapolate that out to, you know, it holding up because you're watching episodes that you and Rich watched, you know, nine years ago, 10 years ago, and now you're discovering them again for the first time. That's what I do as a viewer. I don't watch the show obviously every day, but when we're flipping through channels and it's on, we'll play the game where I try to remember what Mitch and Cam were doing in that episode. And I'm, I'm still marveled at the, at the writing and the, you know, acting. I, I, I'm not talking about myself, but we were a great cast uh, of actors with an exceptional group of writers writing for us. Yes, Bill Rubel, one of them, of course, who's our, our friend in common. And, and I have to mention Bill every time because I fanboy him and stalk him. And he thinks I'm crazy, but I don't care. 
how I feel about Bill's him. crazy, so he has no he has no room to talk. But I I, uh, I truly Bill is uh, one of a kind and truly one of my favorites uh, ever. Even though his wife is smarter, but that's that's just a, a yes. common theme for this show. When maybe and you're life. smarter than your husband, and but life. That's yeah, in, in life. When you first got that script, what did you think? Obviously, it wasn't uh, at, at all true to life for you. No, it wasn't, but it was the character that I wanted to play. I mean, my friend auditioned for it before I did, and he told me about it, asked me to help him with his preparation for the role, and then I was like, well, I want to audition for this. And I got an audition, and... Unfortunately, Steve and Chris, the creators of the show, uh, decided they didn't think I was really right for the part uh, twice before they hired me. Uh, But they, you know, I kept going in uh, and kind of just stuck to my feeling of how the character was. And eventually I got the part and I knew it was going to be a success, right? Because Ed O'Neill's there. They had attached a great director, Jason Weiner, who had been a longtime friend of mine from Chicago. And the other actors, I was one of the last ones cast. So I knew that it had a great chance of being a good show. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. What do you do when your friend has this great script and you see the role and you're like, I want to try that. And then you get it. How did that work out for your friendship? Well, we're still good friends. He texted me today, actually. Uh, you know, and that that's the really broader question or answer to your question there is, having good quality people in your life, which is what I always tell people in our business, you have to kind of get through the people that aren't happy for you and don't believe in your talent. My success doesn't mean he can't find success. His success doesn't mean I can't find success. So I was just upfront and honest with him and said, man, I want to audition for this part. And he's like, you should. Uh, And those, that's a testament, you know, to my friends. It's a testament to who you surround yourself with because you know, we have to be smart enough to know that somebody's going to get the part and only one person's going to get the part. And usually not getting the part has very little to do with anything personal. So if he's not getting it, I'm getting it. If I'm not getting it, I hope he's getting it. So we, uh, we've maintained a great friendship. He was in the pilot actually episode. Um, he was the cool dad at the soccer game that uh, when Ed O'Neill couldn't get out of the chair, he's the cool dad standing next to Ed O'Neill. Tell me about auditioning twice and they turned you down the first two times. What was your mentality about that? How did you finally convince them that this was your role? Well, my mentality was that they were wrong. I mean, and that is from years and years of auditioning and not getting the part, but still finding belief in yourself, which is the requirement of being an actor or a performer or anything in our business is you're going to be told "Mm, no. And you're going to have to say, well, you're wrong. I'm right in a humble, confident way. So I had been told no plenty of times. Uh, This one stung a little different because of what we talked about, which is I knew it was going to be a hit. Um, But I just kind of stuck to it. And, you know, they called me back in for produce. I went in twice for Chris and Steve. Then there was a two week period that I didn't hear anything. And then they called me back in to do a test, a studio test for Fox. And then I passed that on. And then I did a network test the next day. And that's when I got the part. Um, 
you know, what I did to get the part was stayed true to myself. I didn't, that's what producers and really the best of the best in our business want. They want you to walk in and win the part. They want you to walk in and show them this is what the part is. Uh, they've put it on paper, but they're looking for somebody to come in and elevate it. And the way I thought it could be elevated is with what my take was. So rather than like whimpering and figuring out like, well, why did you not cast me twice? What do I need to change? What do I need to do? I'm like, this is the character. I'm giving you the character of Cam right now. Um, hire it. And finally, I was uh, fortunate enough that they did. We know Cam. We've watched Cam for many years. But when you went in with that audition, what was your thesis in selling him? How did you make Cam you? Well, you know, because it wasn't me on paper, you know, being that I'm a straight guy, I had to find what characteristics the character and I share. Well, you know, I'm a passionate person. You know, I'm very interested in other people. I'm very, um, you know, flamboyant in my own way. Like for Halloween and for Christmas, you know, I love decorating and I love getting into the spirit of things. Uh, but then what I relied on was, well, who does this person remind me of? Well, the person reminded me of my mom, uh, some of the lines that Cam said in the pilot. And I thought, well, you know, my mom is not a character. She's a full life breathing character. Uh, she's funny. People enjoy being around her. And she's kind of soft spoken and she's very passionate about things. And then I thought, well, if you com combine those qualities with my physicality, my size, being a big guy in the world of acting, those things go together. Opposites go together in acting. Um, so I thought that would be a really good starting point, a little portal. The line in the pilot that really started me on that process is when I go into the nursery and reveal the painting that I've had done and Cam's line is, oh my gosh, do you love it? And that's, you know, how it was written on the page. And that reminded me of something. Oh my gosh, do you love it? Well, it reminds me of coming home and my mom making my favorite Christmas cookies. And she said, well, do you love them? Are they good? Are they, how do they taste? And so that was sort of my little portal into that character. In other words, you made it authentic because you went from some kind of personal experience, which I think is something that so many people forget will help them get further down the line success-wise. Right. Well, I, I needed to make it relatable to me and make the character, you know, real, which, you know, you watch the show and you could easily say, well, Cam is the broadest character. You know, I, I'm not going to argue with anybody whether that's true or not, but I know that they wanted this character to feel very real, yet they had written this scene where I'm wearing a kimono delivering a baby uh, to Lion King music. So from an actor's perspective and a performer's perspective and somebody who's trying to build a character, that's a pitfall. Well, how do I create a believable real character that does something so outrageous? Well, that's where the genius of writers come in because you find out when you play a character like this and have interactions with general public, 
that more people do these outrageous things than you think, you know, and what the writers really are, are a mirror for people to see that you're not crazy for doing that. Your uncle's not crazy for doing that. Your aunt or whomever is in your family that done these outrageous things. They're not crazy. It's life. And what modern family really was, was about, you know, sort of spotlighting those outrageous moments that we're all witness to in each other's lives that we don't really talk about. We just witness and on the way home, you're like, Oh my God, Rich, can you believe that just happened? It's like, yeah, that just happened. I think we had a couple of those coming home from your house. A couple of like, can you believe what just happened? <laughs> I think I think we've actually yeah Santa Claus in that. a hot Santa Claus in a hot tub happened at my house. There there have been I wouldn't speak out of school, but there have been some experiences at your house where we're like, huh, that just happened. So yes, I feel like I yeah. love that. We don't have a, 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 a painting of Rich on the wall above any of our kids' beds, though. But I can make that a note for our renovation right now that perhaps he would enjoy that in our room. But I'm not sure I would. Yeah. But that's that's no. neither here nor there. Um, it's called Just Getting Started for a Reason because we really want people to feel some kind of inspiration coming out of these crazy years about getting started. So how did you come to realize that your calling was in acting coming from the Midwest? I think there's something in the water there because of all the incredible actors that are out of Kansas City. Rich really loves going every year to go back and raise money for it's Mercy Children's Hospital, yes? Ch- Children's Mercy Hospital, yeah. yep. And he goes every year for the big slick. There's something in the water there. How did you get started? Well, you know, when I was a kid, I said I wanted to be a clown in the circus. And I didn't know what that meant at the time other than I went to the circus and that's who I was drawn to at the circus. And then life happened and, you know, I still did clowning and you know, my grandma made my clown suits and Fisbo was a real part of my life as a kid. Then I went on to college and kind of left that behind. But when I was in college, um, my high school and girlfriend and I broke up and I was sad and melancholy. And my best friend, Paul, <clears throat> he was like, you know, you should audition for a play or something. And so I said I would if he would. And I went and auditioned for a play at the theater department in K- at Kansas State and I got cast. And then I kept getting cast and plays. And then I was like, well, this is fun. I'm enjoying it. I like the people. I'm meeting diverse and unique, interesting people. Uh, and then the professors there were encouraging and said, hey, you know, you're, you're pretty good. And so then I decided, well, I'll give it a shot. I'll just see if the people in Manhattan, Kansas know what good is. And I'll move to Chicago and see if people in Chicago tell me I'm good. So I moved to Chicago with the idea that that's where I was going to be an actor. I was going to do commercials. I was going to be on Steppenwolf stage, the Goodman stage, uh, Second City, perhaps, not really thinking of Los Angeles. But then when I got to Chicago, I realized I can compete, you know, not that it's a competition, but it is in a sense. And I thought, well, maybe I'll hit LA and just kind of get the cheat code because I felt like staying in Chicago any more than I did was just prolonging what inevitably I needed to do to find the success that that point I wanted to find. So I moved to LA and just decided that I would start falling on my face there rather than falling on my face in Chicago without the possibilities of lightning striking, right? 
you can have a fine career in Chicago as an actor, but you're not going to get that one moment where you step in a room and somebody says, you're going to be in a movie, you know, or whatever it is. So that's kind of how I got started. I just listened to somebody that said I was decent. And then I just thought, well, I'll keep going until somebody says no more Stone Street. And um, just kind of been falling forward ever since. What was your Working hard, job? though. My first job was in Chicago for Northwestern University football season tickets, which was great for me because they're Wildcats and they're purple and Kansas State are Wildcats and purple. So I was like, this is great. Uh, and then just commercials. And then that turned into a campaign for NCAA football. I did like 12 or 13 commercials for all of college football, which is, again, right in my wheelhouse. And then moved to Los Angeles. And my first on-TV job was um, a couple lines on Dharma and Greg. So was mine. Just kidding. Was it really? No, mine was not. My first job was, my first ABC job was, uh, it was, let's see, Michigan. My first live shot ever for ABC was Michigan. And it was um, Miami of Ohio at Michigan. And I had to say Ben Roethlisberger. And I was so worried about saying Roethlisberger because like in a live shot, that can really tongue tie you sure. up. And I remember thinking, oh God, just get through the open. Just get through Roethlisberger. So to this day, that's like a four letter word for me. Roethlisberger, bane of my existence. Mm. There you go. Um, I know that you've had some pretty crazy auditions that we've seen on YouTube. Obviously the one for Kevin from The Office is one that people have talked about. And it's amazing how you can have sliding doors moments. If you'd gotten that, you would have gone on another hit show and it would have turned into, you know, Angela Kinsey was on last week, who is a dear friend of both of ours. And we were just talking about those moments where your life can go either way by an audition. Well, yeah. I mean, I was devastated when I didn't get that role on The Office. You know, uh, I knew Brian and I knew he was up for it and I knew who he was and it was just one of those things where it wasn't mad that he got it. I was just disappointed I didn't. But we all sort of find our way, you know, and he and I talked about that as well, that he got the part that he was supposed to get and I got the part that I was supposed to get. Um, but I think about, you know, I wanted to be a clown in the circus. I auditioned twice for Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Clown College. And had I gotten in, it would have completely changed the trajectory of my career. I don't know that I wouldn't have eventually found some success, uh, but I certainly wouldn't have been at the right places at the times that I was to put me in the position that I eventually became in to get Modern Family, which is all those experiences of rejection, all those opportunities that I had to fail. And I, I literally mean that. Um, because, you know, a lot of people think of our business as luck and there's no doubt there's luck involved, but luck, if you don't have the preparation and the time worked to commit to being great at the moment, that lucky moment happens, luck gets you hired a couple times. It doesn't keep the door open for you though. So I'm thankful for all those things that I auditioned for that I didn't get because they prepared me to be ready for the one that I did. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Which failure stung the most? Uh, well, you know, I shot a pilot for 20th Century Fox in maybe 2006. And I and I didn't have that seasoned, uh, savvy Hollywood thick skin yet because I believed the hype. And they said that this was going to be the biggest show ever. It was an hour drama. I played this really fun, cool character that left his family and buried his neighbor in his backyard and stole all his money and was out looking for the 13 graves of gold buried in the South of the United States. And Robert Forrester was in it and Matthew Lillard. And it was directed by a major Hollywood director, Dominic Senna. And I just Everybody told me it was going to be a big hit and I believed them. And then it literally zero went nowhere. And I was, I was, I was just like devastated. I was like, well, wait a minute. But I like, oh yeah, Hollywood. Yeah. You can't put the cart before the horses. And I think that also goes into play with your ego in terms of believing it's different believing in yourself than having a big ego. They're two very different things. Well, I always, you know, humble and confidence is, is the key. You know, how do you project yourself as being confident in your abilities, but also somebody wanting to work with you? Because we know tons of people that are talented. We know tons of people that are jerks. Right. And we know tons of people that are jerks and talented. And mm-hmm. I always wanted to be the the person that was like talented and also a good business partner. And like somebody that's like, you know, Eric's confident in his abilities. And because think about when you go to live shows and you go to a stand up comedian or an improv show, God, a God awful improv show, you know, which there are great improv shows, but most of them are, are not. But when you go, that one performer steps out onto stage and you're like, Oh, this guy, this person, this, this woman is, this guy's great. I can sit back in my chair and relax and not be nervous for them. Well, that's what auditioning is like. It's like walking into a room and looking at all those people that they're, that are there to make a decision about you and figuring out a way to sit them back in their chair and say, Oh, we're in the hands of a professional. We're in the hands of somebody who's confident and nice and is here to put on a show for us. That's what I looked at every audition for. Like, it's like, this is my show. This is the Eric Stone Street show. I'm going to give you three minutes of my time and then I'm going to leave. Um, so it's a tricky thing because confidence is important, but humility is also important. And combining those two is, is, is the trick. 
It's so funny that you mentioned that because I think Ed is a, a perfect example for humility. I mean, talk about a guy with so many accomplishments to his name, and yet he defines humble. And I would yeah, love Ed, to know. Yeah, I'd love to know your thoughts on working with him. Well, Ed O'Neill is. I just was talking about him today with some friends. Um, he's everything you want him to be. Right. When you whether it's that you're an Al Bundy fan and a married fan or a Jay Pritchett modern family fan, he just he's a great storyteller. He's funny, charming, unique, quirky, uh, opinionated, grumpy, just funny, uh, surprisingly caring, like and I don't mean like. You can't believe he's caring, meaning he, he shows he's caring in such unique ways. Phone calls out of the blue, uh, emails out of the blue, texts, things like that. Um, you know, I, I had the same experience showing up to work on Modern Family that anybody listening to this would have had, which is, holy cow, I'm working with Al Bundy. Like, I can't believe and I remember the first real scenes we had together was that episode where my face was painted half and foot for football. And I had to look deep into Ed O'Neill's eyes and tell him he had pretty blue steely eyes. And <laughs> I, I'm just like, I'm having an out of body experience. Like I'm acting with Ed O'Neill right now. It's a real, this is a real thing. Um, but he's great. And he is, you know, he told a story one time about when he first started that he always got mistaken for a grip he'd be on the set and nobody ever thought he was one of the actors. And he just always thought that was the coolest thing ever, which I love. Uh, it says everything about his personality. It says everything because it just means that he didn't let his ego step in front of him. He's just one of the guys, one of the, one of the, one of the folks he's from Youngstown and that's how he thinks of himself and just a quality dude. You can't say Youngstown without thinking about Bruce Springsteen. Like, it's so funny you said that, and all of a sudden I heard, the, like, the, the verse in my head, right? Does that happen to you ever? I, I, you said Youngstown, and I immediately heard the song in my head. Well, I, I'm terrible with song lyrics. Lindsay, my fiancé, would tell you that. I always have a hard time remembering lyrics and thinking of them, so I, I, I would have to be reminded which song is Bruce Springsteen and has to do with Youngstown. Well, I'll leave you alone on that one then. Who made you okay. laugh the most? <clears throat> Sophia, I would say, because she's so s- self-deprecating. I think people would find that really hard to believe as beautiful and as, you know, Sophia is interesting because Sophia and I's sense of humor comes from the s- similar place, just opposites. Her sense of humor comes from being told she's beautiful all day and being reduced to her breasts, right? Where she wants to be thought of as more than that, so she's immediately as a as a child, as a youngster, as a teenager, as a young adult, as a young woman, constantly thinking of ways to get people to look at her in a different way and take people's jokes away from them before they can say them to her. Mine comes from being the heavy set kid and the chubby kid and the pudgy kid and the biggest kid and all that. So I'm always looking to take jokes away from people before they make them about me. So our senses of humor come from the same place. Um, but what I love about Sophia is she knows exactly who she is. She knows exactly what she is. And then she uses that to surprise you on a regular basis. 
And then when you add in that English literally is her second language, um, she was so gracious and fun about us making fun of her, not knowing a lot of times what the hell she was saying and have having to have it explained to her um, different types of euphemisms and different sayings that the writers would write uh, for her. You know, the scene where she talks about baby Jesus, you know, that's real. That's, that's because people, somebody heard her say, you know, baby Jesus and sounded like she was saying little, you know, baby cheeses. And so I would say she made us all genuinely laugh the most because she was so accessible and willing to laugh at herself in so many different ways. Um, I think probably the most outrageous moment we've all had on stage was that first Halloween episode when my head is in the tray and I have a lid on top of my head and I keep pulling that off. And Sophia's dressed as a witch and Ed's dressed as a gargoyle. And anybody listening that wants to go and watch a scene and then imagine what we're doing between takes, that's a perfect scene for you to go watch and just know that it was by the grace of God with anything is usable because we were laughing so hard at Sophia and Ed because she had to say, ha, 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 ha. But she kept saying, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> and we could not get through that. She's like, Sophia, no, you're not Santa Claus. You're a witch. Ho, 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 ho. Um, but that truly sticks out as uh, just a, a scene I'll never forget how much we were all enjoying uh, ourselves uh, shooting. I think what makes the show so much fun to watch is just how much fun you guys are having. You can really tell. I think, I think you really can feel that you're in on the joke at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had a lot of fun, that's for sure. We kept it loose. We didn't have long hours. That's another secret to the show. You know, it never was about, you know, getting the light just perfectly right. It was never about the shot being perfect comedy. It was always comedy first. And the actors were, we were always ready. We were always prepared. Nobody was ever waiting on us to learn our lines and, and such. And the crew responds to that. You know, then that, that makes them ready because everybody kind of at some point looks at each other and says, wait a minute, if you're ready and we're ready and he's ready and she's ready, we can get out of here at like three. It's like, uh, yeah, we can. And we did. Being a good crew member is everything, whether you're in broadcast or you're an actor. I mean, that's just the most important thing you could possibly be is a good team member. I'd like to talk about Domino Masters. I'd like to talk about Tariq Hill to Miami. I first have to tell you about T. Chanley because, as you know, much like my husband, you wear makeup for a living. Now, my husband comes <laughs> home and oftentimes doesn't wash his face. And I always say, like, Rich, that's disgusting, right? Come on. And, and by the way, stop using my stuff. So I wanted to tell you about this skincare line, guys. Teach Hanley is great for men who've never had a skincare routine. And Rich Eisen, by the way, it's, it's, it's an issue. It's a men's skincare company that helps guys start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by making it an easy process. Each box comes with an instruction card that tells you when to use each product, how to use it, in what order. Eric, he uses level one, which is for beginners, because you got to make it simple. It's like keep it, you know, keep it simple, stupid. It's the best way to put it. It's the easiest way to get started. 
It comes with a daily face wash to get rid of the dirt and the grime and in your case in which is the makeup. A two-time-per-week exfoliating scrub to get rid of dead skin cells, which I gave to my 13-year-old because 13-year-olds are gross. And they don't wash their face. They don't shower. They tell you that they've showered, and they haven't. Like, Xander puts his head in the shower. He pretends to get it wet, and then he says he showered. I I know what he did because he stinks. An AM moisturizer with SPF 20 because you got to stay out of the sun. A PM moisturizer to keep your skin hydrated and healthy throughout the night. It's great. I'm going to send you some because it's kind of wonderful. So for all of you listening out there and taking this in and watching it, it's great. If you mention just getting started, you'll get 20% off the retail price, free shipping, monthly deals. Look, just get it because I'm telling you to and I'm incredibly bossy, but also because it's really good and it'll, it'll make your life easier. So T. Chanley is sponsoring today's episode of Just Getting Started. I told them that you were coming on. They like the idea of a guy oh being, being on. Uh, they chose you over Marshall Falk, so I'm just saying, over a Hall of Famer. Don't well, tell Marshall they, that. They said, well, he needs he needs skincare. I do love a regime. You know, I have a good shaving regime. And when I was wearing makeup on a daily basis, I definitely had my regime. So uh, it is important. I'll have to give it a, I'll have to give the stuff a try. I want all of you guys to try it. It's teach.com slash started. You'll get 30% off today and a free gift. And who doesn't like a free gift? That's T-I-E-G-E.com slash started for an amazing deal here on just getting started. Domino Masters, did you play dominoes growing up? I played dominoes like normal dominoes with my grandpa and my mom and stuff. And I didn't use dominoes. That's sorry. That's my ice machine. If you can hear that, uh, I didn't use dominoes like we use them on the show for toppling, but I did use other things for toppling like blocks and things like that. I was a kid that my grandma always said she could just give me a box of blocks and put me on the porch and she didn't have to worry about me. Uh, my creativity, my imagination, hopefully that's what it was. I kind of took uh, care of being my, my playmate. Making a lot of ice here. Sorry. That's all right. If you're going to make a cocktail, I will join you for one. Yeah, it's good cocktail ice. By the way, is, is it the big blocks? Uh, these are the Bell Ice. I'm an ice person. So I have different kinds of ice. I have crushed ice for just like soft drinks and water. And then I have the Bell Ice for more of a cocktail uh, type ice. I've never felt closer to you than I do right now. <laughs> I love ice. They're at the Sherman Oaks Little League, a little, little digression here, there's nothing better than sitting out watching a 5 o'clock Little League game, and they have a snack shack that has fountain soda with crushed ice. There's nothing there better than a Diet Coke with crushed yeah. ice from like a 100%. snack shack. Yeah. So I'm just saying, you can yep. make all the noise you want. This is, I have two dogs in the room, so at some point, they'll start Aww. barking. So I always feel like... Ice? That's nothing. Wait till the dogs start barking. It's not a problem. How did Fox come to you to do this show? How did this come about? Well, um, I had made it sort of known to them that I was interested in hosting something. I like the idea of hosting because I like interacting with people. I like the idea of it being a finite time frame of something just pragmatically for work reasons. I didn't want to sign on to another show immediately, which is another great thing that Modern Family has uh, given me is the opportunity to not say yes to things just because I have to, but just kind of pick things. And I want to do something fun. 
And when I showed the boys, Lindsay's 10 year old boys, the sizzle reel for the domino masters, they were just like, that is awesome. Mm -hmm. We want to watch. They're upstairs watching last week's episode as we speak right now uh, to get caught up for tonight. So they were interested immediately. And I thought, well, that's a good sign. So we had a meeting and I liked it. And I liked the producer, Gordon Ramsay's producer. And I like Rob Wade at Fox. And so I said yes to doing it. And people enjoy it. I don't know if there'll be a season two or not. It's, mm -hmm. I, I hope it, I hope there is. Uh, but if not, I'll find something else to do, but I, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed doing it. That's the best part is actually enjoying your job. Rich always says he was born to give away cash and prizes. And I think he is so jealous of this one because it just looks like it's so much fun. Yeah, it is a blast. It's intense. Um, I didn't realize how invested I would get in the builds and like the mistakes that, and unfortunately, I mean, the next three episodes, just things happen that are unfathomable and so sad for the teams. Um, yeah, I just didn't realize how much I would be into, into it, uh, hosting it. Is this when we ask you if domino building is a sport? <laughs> Vernon Davis said it was. Uh, well, when you see them built bent over and sweating and on their knees and hands, uh, I'm not going to say it's a sport yet, but it's damn close. Was Vernon on the show? Yeah, he's he's one of the judges. He's one of the judges with Danica McKellar and the other guy, Steve Price. But Vernon, Vernon was on, yeah. He is um, – do you know he's a, an incredible artist? Have you ever seen his artwork? Oh, yeah. That's why they had him on was because he, he paints. I covered him at Maryland when I was doing the ACC. And I said to Rich the year he was going to the Combine, I said, you got to look for this kid, Vernon Davis. Because that's what I used to love to do. I'd tell Rich all the college kids and say, go look for this. Mm -hmm. go. And, and he said to me, he's like, yeah, Maryland. He's like, I don't, I don't have him on the I don't have him on the, on the deck. And I said, watch. And he went out yeah, there like a beast. And yeah. just... And one of the best guys you've ever met too, which is the, the best part. Oh yeah. Quality, quality person. Talk about Very it. Very nice. Um, I know you're a huge Patriots fan. So let me ask you about Bill Belichick. Just kidding. I mean, I'm sorry, but look at your outfit and, and I do love your Andy Reid so much. I'm a huge Pats fan. You know, I'm the, I'm the jackass driving around New England or sorry, driving around LA with the, the evil empire on the back of the car. Oh yes. I'm sorry. It's well, okay. Did you want my kids to be Jets fans? That was the alternative. No. No, no one no. should be a Jets fan. Correct? No. Rich Eisen is the only person that should be a Jets fan. Rich Eisen shouldn't be a Jets fan, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, what did you think about the Tyreek Hill move? Fan uh, for it. Hap not happy about it. Tyreek is a unique player, but I think when it, comes to the finances and what's best for the chiefs and knowing Brett Veach the way I do and how he's playing a chess game. Uh, Tyreek's great, but he's not getting faster. He's not getting younger and you know, somebody else is going to pay him for those years now. That's not the chiefs. And we got 12, 12 draft choices uh, uh, and we'll keep the team young and fresh and, you know, may, maintain Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and some of those other key players we've got and wish Tyreek all the best, but it was the right move for the chiefs. 
What's it been like for you as somebody that grew up such a huge Chiefs fan to have now become synonymous with the team? Well, I, I don't take it for granted. I know people probably get annoyed with it that, you know, I'm always talking about the Chiefs, but like, it's just a passion of mine. Like I can't, it's not because I'm on TV and people think I'm famous or something like that, that I talk about the chiefs. Like I'm, I've been decked out in chiefs gear my whole life. Uh, I'm a chiefs fan through and through. So it's a coincidence that I then became someone that people would have on talk shows to talk about sports. Uh, that's just, happened after the fact. I mean, I was at the chiefs organization today, uh, hanging out in, in the draft room with Brett Veach. And for me to be able to be a part of the organization in the way that Clark Hunt and, and Brett have allowed me and coach Reed have allowed me to be a fly on the wall. Uh, I don't think 16, 17, 18 year old Eric could even remotely comprehend. So I'm thankful. And I always say to fans like, I get it that I'm the person sometimes that gets to do this cool stuff, but just know that I don't take it for granted. And I think of how special it is and how I'm representing every person that calls themselves a fan when I get to do that stuff. As we leave you, Eric, what's your advice for people who are looking to get started and looking for inspiration out there? What's your advice to them? Well, start. I mean, that's the thing, you know, when people as with, with respect to acting, you know, you can act anywhere, right? There's community theater anywhere, but if you, that's different than I want to be on TV or I want to be in movies. And the, with respect to my specific career, you have to move to New York. You have to move to LA. You have to make that move to get that ball rolling. It doesn't mean you have to do it right now, but it can't be something that you procrastinate. Uh, and think like, well, someday I'll do it. Like you have to do that. You have to do it. So for my business that, but for just in general, you know, I wish I was the person that could had the magic word because I wish I could start working out every day. Like I wish I had that fire in me that said, well, today I got to get up and do a thousand pushups and a thousand sit-ups. So I'm still at 50 struggling to find uh, that motivation to do the things that I know I need to do. But with respect to going after your dreams and passions, it's acting the part, you know, getting, I was an, I was playing an actor before I was one. Um, and just found the confidence and the, and the will to go out and, and try it and do it and risk failure. I think that's it. Follow your fear. That's what, um, is an improv sort of staple. When you're on stage, go where it's scary. And I think that crosses over into life. Uh, go where it's scary, follow your fear, and good things will come from, from that. I think what you said is so important. It's okay to be scared. I tell that to my kids all the time, especially with skiing. And it's a mountain that or a slope that looks too daunting. I always say it's okay to be afraid. I was scared to death my first game on ABC. And you get better yeah. because of it. Yeah. And there's something that happens in you when, because you can live a whole life of never being fearful. You can live a, a life of always being comfortable, but the moment you take yourself out of that comfort zone and do something and then get on the other side of it, you've just become addicted. You've just found that moment in your, in your stomach, in your mind that is 
life. You're living life, like walking out onto a stage, not knowing what's going to happen and what you're going to say is nerve wracking and exhilarating and also intoxicating at the same time. And you'll never find the benefit of doing it unless you do it. Um, So I think follow, follow, follow the fear is a very important thing for people to find success. Can't thank you enough for your time. Thanks for stopping by just getting started. Thanks, Susie. See you guys. Fear. It's an incredibly powerful, motivating tool. Like I said, I use it on my kids all the time. I've used it myself. And I think Eric Stone Street's advice on not being afraid of fear is incredibly fantastic and should be motivational to all of you who chose to check out this Just Getting Started podcast. And by the way, we now have an Instagram page. Our great producer, Lou Pellegrino, made it. It's at Just Getting Started Pod. I hope that you will check it out with links to some of our past pods as well. Highlights, Nick Muhammad, Angela Kinsey, whose book came out this week, The Office Ladies, BFF book came out this week. So go ahead and support her as well. Next week will be Marshall Falk, the Hall of Fame running back. We'll talk to him about growing up, where he grew up. He grew up in the Bayou, of course, and uh, in New Orleans in some pretty extenuating circumstances. So we're going to talk about his background and how he got started. I can't wait to share his story with you. So thanks so much for stopping by this edition of Just Getting Started. See you next week.